Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am always happy when this day of the week rolls around because we start this particular hour with Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, and I'm always looking forward to it because I get to hear from you, and you ask all the great questions, and I love getting the questions, and I want them to come starting right now. So all you have to do is text them over to 877 2484, again, 877-933-2484. Any question that you have, maybe you've been wanting to ask your pastor a question for a while, or maybe you've just been in a discussion at a Bible study this morning, and you've got um, a question you want to ask the guys. All you have to do is send it over, and we'll get it on the show. The Power Panel today is Jeff Verdorn and Pastor Tom Parrish. Gentlemen, Welcome. Good afternoon, Bill. Nice to have you here, as always. All right. um, Let me get started with this. The Bible describes Jesus as the vine and his followers as the branches. Mm -hmm. We learn about that in John 12, 5. It says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And then in um, Colossians 1, 18, it describes Jesus as the head and the church as his body. You guys tracking with me so far? Right mm-hmm. with you. Okay. So I assume that both illustrations are talking about being in Christ. Yes. And they're talking about Christ being in charge. Mm-hmm. He's the authority. He's the power. And our responsibility is to pay attention to him, listen to what he's doing, and follow in his steps. And you can do that. You know, that's what branches are meant to do on the vine. That's what the church is meant to do. On Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, because we are to listen to Jesus and go out into this world. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, what does that mean? How is it going to get done? It's only going to get done through believers so pursuing Jesus that they actually love their even their enemies and stand up and speak the truth in an, uh, both private and public forums uh, so that Jesus is well known. Yeah, I think it's two pictures to describe this relationship of the church with Christ. Remember, we are united with Christ. We are in Christ. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We are the body of Christ. And as you said, Tom, the Christ is the head. So he is the one who's directing. He's the source and the power. And that is exactly then the last imagery of this vine and the branches. In that imagery, we know that it says that if no branch can produce fruit on its own, but only as it's connected to the vine. So the vine is the source and the power of our bearing fruit in this world, just as you said. I was talking about this text many years ago when we had a medical clinic in our church, which was kind of neat. We had a walk-in clinic, and it was a daily clinic, so it was just part of who we were. The doctor there made an interesting comment on this text. He said, Tom, I've been doctoring a long time. You can cut off a finger and be fine. You cut off an arm and still get around. You can cut off a leg and get around. You cut off the head, you're dead. And he said, when we ignore the head, 
who is Jesus. I don't care how beautiful our buildings, I don't how great our programs, we are dead as a church. And he's absolutely right. Well said, Tom Parrish. All right, this brings me to the deep end of the pool, which is a verse that I think has been troubling for many people, and I would like to talk about it, and that is, of course, John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I will read it. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And of course, when you hear that, he he cuts off every branch in me that mm-hmm. bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that'll be even more fruitful. Let's let's dissect this one. This is a great text. Jeff, you want to give it a shot first? <laughs> I mean, I'm willing to jump in, but I don't Jeff's want to. Jeff's got eight pages of notes right now, so you got to be I, careful. I Tom. know he does. Come to think of it, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> what we're looking at here is this. We're not looking at branches being pruned and thrown away in terms of hell. We're looking at believers who, in their walk with the Lord, have not grown in a certain area, who have failed in a certain area, who have sins in a certain area. And Jesus comes along, and or the Father does, and prunes those through the circumstances of life, through other people, through a variety of things, so that we can be more fruitful. I have pruned trees in my life. The branch or the, the base is really where all the power is. The branches that go out are you and me. Rarely do I cut off a big branch. I mean, it's got to be hanging on my roof or it's got to be ready to fall <laughs> off. But the little shoots that come out from that branch can suck life out of that and suck it out of the fruit if they're not pruned, if they're not helping contribute to the health of the, the tree. That's what's being talked about here. We are pruned not to be thrown away. He's not pruning us and throwing us away and saying, sorry, Jeff, you're gone. I don't need you. He's saying, Jeff, I want to take this out of your life or I want to put something in your life that gives you even more insight than you've already had. Good. I, it's I, a, yeah, go ahead. Jump in here. Um, but it also says he cuts off every branch. Oh, yeah. Is that the pruning or is that the disposal? Well, the, let's put it this way. In my life, I'm not being disposed of as a believer. He's not disposing of me. What he's disposing in me and throwing into the fire is my anger, my bitterness, my unforgiveness, my resentments, those things that get in the way of me sharing the good news with other people. Because he knows that's in all of us. Yeah, that's no mystery. It's what is he going to do? And here's the good news. We're not on our own in in what we call, I hear many men say, well, I need to clean up my act before Jesus. Well, guess what? Jesus is there to clean up your act. And he knows how to do it. And this verse, I think, is paramount in telling us that. He is there to cleanse. And that's why I've learned the circumstances of life. I don't like all the circumstances, Bill. I don't like all the things I have to go through. But looking back on my life, most often those were some of the best things that happened to me because it forced me to be more like Jesus and listen to him. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tom Parrish. Jeff Redorn? So the imagery is Christ is the vine and people are the branches. And totally agree on the on the pruning things in our lives so that we can become more fruitful. Remember a vine, let's think of a real vine for a second. A real vine that's producing all kinds of leafy greens is going to produce a lot less fruit. Right. So the gardener will trim back some of the leafy greens so that it becomes Becomes more fruitful. So there's the pruning. But the cutting off, I see it this way. One, it's kind of an ominous warning to a believer when you read the words cuts off. Mm-hmm. Does God really mean that if you are not bearing fruit for him, he's going to cut you off? 
The picture later in John 15 is that it's clear. The branches that are not connected to the vine, Jesus says, are gathered up and burned. Well, that's clearly a picture of hellfire. The branches not connected to Christ, the people not connected to Christ are gathered up and burned. So now we got to decide, is cuts off an accurate representation of what the Greek language is describing there? And this is one of these cases, I believe, where the English just doesn't quite capture the intent of the Greek. In the Greek, this word is aro, and aro primarily means to lift up. Mm-hmm. It is, it's, I don't think it's accurate to say John just spent the last 14 chapters telling us that if we believe, we have eternal life. I don't think he's going to come along in John 15, 2 and say, but if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to cut you off and you're going to be burned in the fires of hell. But if we look at the Greek word aro and translate that as lifts up, now John 15, 2 says, he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now what Tom was talking about is exactly what God is doing. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, I don't think you'll ever be cut off, ever be spit out of his mouth, ever be cast aside, ever. You have assurance of salvation. So it's not cuts off, but what he will do is he'll take this branch that's not producing fruit and he'll prune it, he'll lift it up, he wants you to bear fruit for him. You were, as Ephesians 2.10 says, created in Christ Jesus to good, to, I'm sorry, to do good works. That's what he wants you to do is to bear fruit for him. Mm. Great illustration, great understanding of that verse. Many people have thought, if I don't produce fruit, I'm going to be cut out, cut, out, cut off. And maybe God, if you're not bearing fruit, will be picking you up and grafting you in after a little pruning. Hmm. That's a much happier message. It is. And I think one thing I encourage people to do when they study the Word, and and Jeff, I know you've taught the Word a lot, I've taught a lot, uh, the Word of God, is, first of all, read it in its context. Don't separate the verse out. And when you see a word that throws you, like, you know, throws away or cuts off or whatever else, Look at the context, and if you today every Christian has access to the Greek, whether they know Greek or not. It's it's in English. They they tell you what the word really means or the derivations. Then we understand it that way. Because you're right, you can't go through 14 chapters of salvation and all of a sudden hit 15, and suddenly now you're being thrown away. What he's saying is, you know, chapter 15 is the verse that starts talking about. Now it's time to grow up. Now it's time to become the person you're meant to be, bearing and, fruit, bearing fruit, and bearing fruit is a strain. It's a strain on the tree. It's a strain. We were we went to an apple orchard earlier today to get some apples. And I'm looking at all those trees out there, and, and I asked the uh, gal there, I said, you know, do you have to do a lot of pruning on that? She just rolled her eyes at me. She goes, all the time. <laughs> so it's a constant process in order to produce the big apples, the big oranges and that. And most of us never see it because we go to the grocery store and buy it. And every one of us as a believer who who I believe has assurance of salvation. Remember, Jesus says he'll never forsake us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Um, he says he gives us the Holy Spirit who will be with us forever. It's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Our salvation is kept in heaven for us, shielded by his power until that day. Over and over, God says that the the moment you are born again, you are born again for all of eternity and you have eternal life. And it starts the moment you are born spiritually and lasts forever forever and ever. Um, But we all need pruning. 
Mm-hmm. And just as you said, mm-hmm. the tree person, anybody who grows fruit uh, it, for a living knows all fruit plant bearing plants need some kind of pruning so that they don't just expend all their energy on leafy greens, but produce that energy into the fruit. And but never forget where where is the power and the source of our fruit bearing? It's from the vine. Awesome. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm ready for your questions. I've got some great questions coming in, but I know you've got one as well. Send it over, 877-933-2484. That's the text line. It's wide open just for you, 877-933-2484. And the next sound you'll hear is a little bit of banjo music, and we'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to Guide Talk. We've got Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn as the power panel today, and some great questions are coming in. I saw this line the other day, and I jotted it down because I thought it was interesting. It's this. Satan is offering a problem that can never be solved. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I like that. Isn't yeah. that how how uh, uh, Star Trek the guys on the Enterprise beat the Borg? I, I, they put an unsolvable problem into their computer system, and that's how they defeated the Borg. I think so. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. Well, and think about it. you know when you work with people like we do, and you, you minister to people, the confusion of people out there because they're trying to answer questions they shouldn't even be asking in the first place, and the real questions they should be asking about Jesus and about His will get overlooked, and then Satan having a good time. You know, because he doesn't have any answers. All he's got are problems. Mm. You know, God has answers, and uh, Satan just has problems and unanswerable questions and lies. You know, Scripture says that God is a God of truth. Mm-hmm. Satan is the father of lies. When he speaks, he lies. It says it's his native tongue. Yep. But the problem is, to the world, Satan comes as an angel, masquerading as an angel of light. People think, think of the world, think of the people you know that don't know the Lord and, and, and are being held captive by the lies of this world. They think they're doing good in some of these things that you might see as just the opposite of being good. Right. And that is, that's how he works. He presents, he masquerades as an angel of light and, and goodness when in fact he's just the opposite. Yeah. All right, here's a question. Sometimes I get the feeling I'm distant from God even though my circumstances haven't changed. Any scripture to help with this? I love the, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And the reason I I hang on to that verse is this. Uh, I'm coming up on my 50th wedding anniversary, you know, uh, which if you'd ask me, have you had deep emotional love for your wife for 50 years? Well, not like I did when we were dating, you know, but I have learned as a Christian, I have chosen to love her. And so it is an act of my will. And I do love her. I don't want to say I don't. I do love her and I, I'm passionate with her. But the point is, we have to understand that Jesus has chosen us. And even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't feel like we're close to the Lord, that doesn't mean we're not close to the Lord. It's an emotion. What we have to do is go back and reaffirm the scriptures. Lord, your word says you are with me always. I will bank on that, even though I don't feel it at this moment. 
because if we're waiting for the emotion, it usually takes a while to catch up. And I know some people where the emotions never totally catch up, but they keep hanging on to the word, and they say, I'm going to trust the word over my emotions regardless. Mm. Now, that's why it says the righteous shall live by faith, yep. not the righteous shall live by feelings, right? So we can sometimes feel closer to God. Sometimes we feel further away from God. But what Scripture declares is once you are born again, you're as near to God. You've been brought near to God. You've been reconciled to God. You've been justified with God. You're at peace with God. You are united with him, united with Christ. And and I, I love the passage in Hebrews. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, as a Christian, he says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence yep. so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our t- to, and help in our time of need. That means that as a believer in Christ Jesus, you can come before God's throne with confidence anytime you want. It's, it's you know, there are several pictures in Scripture where where uh, it was it was Esther who was afraid to approach the king because she didn't know if she had the authority or right to approach the, the king, right? And she was wondering if she was going to get killed. We never have to have that fear to come before God. And, uh, you know, another passage, Hebrews 10 later on, says it says this, let us then draw near to God with sincere heart and in full assurance of faith because we've been cleansed. We've been, we've been cleansed with the blood of the Lamb. And, and 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 we can come before God's throne anytime we want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, I want to revisit something you said, Tom Parrish, and Jeff, maybe you can help me on this one, but you showing up 50 years of marriage coming up, and my guess is, although you were referring to early in your relationship with Jan when there was probably a... Uh, late teen, early 20 hormones going on. (laughs) But I would would assume your love for her today is way deeper than it ever was. It is, and it's not based on emotion. It's based on my love for her because uh, Jesus loves me. We're called to love one another. And so the way I love her is not always, oh, man, I can hardly wait till I can get alone with her and start hugging and kissing her, which I did when I was a teenager. Uh, up until about three years ago. But what I do now <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that I'm doing this because I respect her. I love her. She's my wife. We're one flesh. I want to honor her and honor the Lord. And I will do what helps her become the person she's meant to be. And the truth is, I enjoy doing it. Right. It just didn't sound quite as romantic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we have a, I think, a faulty understanding, uh, especially in our country, of the word love. Uh, love tends to be stuff that brings us pleasure. Love, you know, I love my car. I love pizza. I love, I love going to the car. game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and things like that. But truly, agape love, biblical love, this highest form of love, is a, a self-sacrificial love that that is always looking out for the need of the one that you're loving. It's it's not self-based. It's the other based. And I can honestly say that that I would give myself up much more for my wife today than probably the the week that we were married. Absolutely. I, I love her, you know, that much deeper, differently than what I did when I was, you know, sure. 25. Sure. Uh, but I would argue more deeply. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we While we are commanded to tithe and give to the needy, is there anything in the Bible saying we shouldn't have our own reserve funds for emergencies and how are we to determine how much to keep and how much to give? I don't teach tithing because that's 
emphasized in the Old Testament, I teach thankfulness for what the Lord's given us. And I find that people that are thankful usually give more than the Old Testament letter of the law, the tithe. And they become creative with the way they do things. So I always push that. Um, but you can set aside money for yourself. Here's here's the problem I see. When your consideration of your money has nothing to do but with you and what you're going to get out of it, how you're going to live in the future and how you're going to be comfortable and how you're going to be protected, we've missed the point. We use the resources the Lord has given us, and he says, to whom much is given, much is required. So we have to put that back to work in the kingdom of God for other people. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a reserve. That doesn't mean you can't have extra things. We're not talking about that. But it does mean that there better be a big place in your heart beyond your own family to people around you who basically are Jesus' presence there, whether they're their neighbors, whether they're family, whether they're street people. I mean, I run into street people all the time in downtown Minneapolis where the church is, and these people are always hurting. They're always in need. I mean, I could give away lots of money every day. But what I do is not only do I help them, uh, we offer them some assistance, but I take the time to talk to them Mm. because they're people and they need to be talked to. So it's both money and, I believe, time. Mm-hmm. Peter Peter said the same thing, didn't he? It's the silver and gold I do not have, but I'll give you this. And he shared the gospel with the poor. Yep. Jesus himself said, you'll always have the poor uh, with you. I think, I, I, I agree. I think the tithe, the requirement of the tithe was under the Old Testament law. And that law is something that I believe that, that Christians are no longer under. We're under grace. Paul right. specifically says multiple times in the New Testament that we are no longer under the law. I think the New Testament standard comes, uh, for example, in Second Corinthians 9, where it says that each of you should give what he's decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. The tithe with that was actually a compulsion. God demanded a tenth of everything that you yeah. produced. Uh, but, but give cheerfully as one is determined in his heart, because God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're giving 1% of your income to the kingdom, I, I, I'm probably not going to have a conversation about tithing, I'm going to have a conversation about your faith. How much are you really trusting in God with your life, with your finances? You know, there's an old adage that you can really see what's important to someone by how they spend their time and what they spend their money on. Um, so if God is really important and your faith is really important, you're probably that's probably going to be reflected in your giving to others. And And I also, I don't believe that it's wrong to store up uh, uh, um, for a rainy day and so on. I think that's being prudent, for goodness sakes. And Proverbs, by the way, says, uh, yeah. it's Proverbs thirteen twenty two. a wise man uh, stores up an inheritance for his children and his children's children. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. The problem is we're living in an age where things get mixed up. And I'm glad to tell you more about that after our break. <laughs> no, there you go. There's a real radio <laughs> professional. <laughs> Watches my signal that says, Tom, cut it off. I we got to go to break. Yeah. You're listening to the Guide Talk or Guys Who Talk. My power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Burdorn. If you have a question, text it over, please. The line is open just for you. 877-933-2484. Some great questions coming in. You're really doing awesome today, as always. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. 
What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just joined me, I'm awfully glad you did. We've got guy talk going on. We do this uh, this day of the week on a weekly basis, and I'm glad for it because it's great fellowship for me. I gather with my friends, and we sit around and we discuss important issues. And I think people are are really hungry for that. I, you know, we can talk about news, weather, and sports only to a degree, and then I'm interested in who are you and what makes you tick. And it's nice to have a place where you can have uh, conversations about uh, important topics that adults are interested in, i.e. people like me. We agree. And I, I was just thinking about this, Bill. I had, uh, a week ago Sunday, I had 12 pastors at church uh, for Sunday evening and Monday for a meeting about evangelism. It was the closest thing to guy talk I have had in my entire years <laughs> in the ministry because instead of getting caught up on just the theological, you know, five, you know, the four, uh, spiritual laws or the Roman road, which we, we do and we like, we were talking about really what goes on in our hearts, mm-hmm. what goes on in the church, what goes on in trying to witness to people, what goes on in discipleship. And it was the most fruitful 24 hours I've had mm-hmm. in a long time apart from this program. Okay, earlier in the show, and if you missed any of it, uh, you should check out the podcast. Um, and we talked about John 15, verses 1 and 2. I'll read it, especially if you're driving. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. And then I had a question uh, come in regarding... Can you discuss Romans eleven twenty one to 22? It says, For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So when we looked at the John 15 passage, we said that cuts off was was not the best English translation. Lift up, I believe, is a better English translation of the Greek that's there. So uh, I, I was saying that Christians w- will not ever be cut off. And so someone called in and said, well, wait a minute. It seems like Christians will be cut off because in Romans 11, uh, they he also talks about them cutting off. So let's look at what the branches are. So let's go back up to verse 17 in Romans 11. And it says that some of the branches have been broken off and you, the wild olive shoot, have been grafted in. So who are the natural branches and who are the wild branches? So let's define that first. In context, the natural branches are Israel and the wild branches are the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So God has done a, this great thing that that the Jews uh, was surprising to many of the Jews, even to Peter, was very surprised that this gospel of salvation was being offered even to the Gentiles, and they would receive the same salvations that the Jews did. Okay, so there's the two different uh, branches. But you, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. There's that headship again that we're talking about with the vine and the branches. And you say, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off. I think here's the key to this passage now. They were broken off because of unbelief. All right? So just like we were talking about with the vine and the branches, the branches that are connected to the vine have faith in Christ and are connected to him. The branches that aren't connected are not connected to the to the uh, vine in unbelief, and therefore they risk the the fires of hell in John 15. Good word, and 
I would agree. What we're looking here, and I think the point that we often miss in all of these texts, is that when we talk about, you know, have I believed enough? Am I good enough? Am I going to heaven or hell or whatever? If the focus is on you, you're in trouble. The focus always needs to be on what Jesus has done for us. And when I stand before God the Father, I have nothing to plead but the name and the blood of Jesus. There's nothing I can bring, no matter how much preaching and teaching I do. I come empty-handed. And if every Christian would get that in their head, that we come empty-handed, we are grafted in because of Jesus and what he's done, guess what? Out of thankfulness, we become fruitful. And that's what we need to see in the Christian life. Well done, Tom Parrish. Jeffrey Doran, thank you for your comments. Here's a question. I'll try to get the verse up quickly for you, uh, gentlemen. Let's see. Uh, Isaiah 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. When we see uh, the word uh, virgin uh, show up in Scripture, and I know it shows up more than in one place, um, are we uh, thinking that this is uh, an actual virgin or just a young woman? Well, we know from the New Testament account that Mary had not uh, had sexual relationships with with a man. So I think that while the Hebrew here can mean a young woman uh, or specifically a virgin, I think we know from the rest of the story of the New Testament that, in fact, Mary was a virgin. This is also theologically very important that uh, Jesus, the body of Jesus, the person of Jesus in his car- incarnation, did not inherit the, the from the line of Adam the sin of the world. Uh, so just as God made Adam's body from the dust of the ground, the first man, Adam, so too God prepared a body for Jesus uh, supernaturally, divinely, in the womb of a virgin— uh, by God. He's the second Adam. So the only two people that uh, have ever been walked the earth that were not the result of human reproduction were Adam and Jesus. And theologically, that's actually very important. I agree. I think you kind of hit the nail on, right on the head there, because what we have in Adam is the first creation. In Jesus, we have the new creation. So, yes, that's exactly what it's saying. Hmm. Hmm. Just got a nice comment from uh, Julia, who said my two-year-old daughter uh, just came into the kitchen so she could dance to Bill's theme song. <laughs> you know, we do that in the studio, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's embarrassing in the studio. <laughs> you know, it's cute if a two-year-old's doing I it know, in, in a kitchen, but, you know, you guys dancing it, makes me... Well, that's why there's no video in here. Thank goodness. <laughs> I, I believe that. All right, uh, let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484. Here's a question. So if the Bible is not bound by culture and time, should women still have long hair and cover their heads, as referenced in 1 Corinthians 11.16, dressing modestly, etc., as in 1 Timothy 2, 9, and 10? The, go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> I'll I'll, I'll let you step into this, Jeff, and then I'll help us step out. It's funny because we just covered this in my men's group uh, this week and had a long conversation. And it it basically boils down to, 
is this kind of a, a, a command for all time for the church to follow, for men to cover their heads, uh, I'm sorry, for women to cover their heads when they're praying or have their heads covered, and men not to have their heads covered? I mean, I, I think culturally, uh, we still have uh, women with long hair, men with short hair, uh, probably because of this passage right here in First Corinthians uh, 11. It's also why we take our hats off when we pray, men. You know, if you ever go to a golf tournament and somebody prays for the, the tournament, and we, we always take our hats off, right? Um, or was there something cultural going on in the first century where a woman had her head covered out of respect and out of understanding um, uh, culturally? So is it an, an absolute command for all times, or is there a c- cultural component of this? In the end, uh, my group, decided that it's a heart thing. We're talking about the heart. In This is not, uh, I don't think this is something that the church needs to follow today in a strict manner. I think it's a, a heart thing. Um, and I think, um, you know, God sees the heart. And I think that's where we end up with this passage. It's just, it's, you know, it's just like braiding your hair that the questioner asked, is there a prohibition against Christian women braiding their hair? No, it's what it signified. And, and in the day, it signified basically kind of loose morals. Uh, I think the uncovering of the head also had a, some kind of cultural significance of showing loose morals as well. And uh, so I don't think it's an absolute. I think it's a cultural thing. And in the end, I think it's a heart thing. I would agree. We don't understand totally. Most Christians don't. The cultural situation the church was in, not only were they in a cultural situation in Israel, the messages are going out to Mesopotamia and all around the world. And there are so many gods and so many forms of worship out there. Here's the problem. Most of the worship, apart from Israel, throughout the world was sexual in nature. And women were heavily used in that process as part of that worship of the one god or the multiple gods. You've got a situation here where the Lord is speaking through Paul and others to say, look, you need to be modest because we don't want to put the emphasis on your looks. We want to put the emphasis on what I've done for you. And too often we miss that in Christianity, and we don't understand that today. So, you know, I, I saw a guy with a mohawk the other day, and I always wanted one <laughs> as a kid. Uh, I'm not sure I'll ever get one, but I look at that and I say, I don't see any prohibition against that. It's just not the smartest thing to do at my age. Well, the same thing is true here for women or for men. Don't do anything that distracts from the gospel. Don't do anything that pushes people in the wrong direction. Try to live and think about what the needs of others are. You know, we talked some in our group about uh, even attire within the church. How many people come dressed inappropriately in some way? There are still people that think you shouldn't wear shouldn't wear shorts to church. Uh, you know, someone up on the platform with ripped jeans, there are still people that get upset about that in church. Um, should you wear a tie up on the stage? I remember going to a church for a while as a young person where everybody on the platform had to wear a tie. I mean, that sure. was just a rule. Um, in the end, I don't think the kingdom of God is about what we wear. It's not about what we eat or drink or what we wear. That's that's not what it's about. But we have cultural norms that we tend to follow and that there's a, a sense of appropriateness in certain environments. And there are some things that I don't think are appropriate to wear in a right. church. Uh, but it's 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 not because, uh, you know, lightning's going to come down and strike the building down or something. It's a cultural appropriateness. And I think there's more of that going on here than 
than uh, than not. So I agree with you. It makes sense, and it's not really, you know, what we wear. It's whose we are that we want to be focused on. Amen. All right. Here's a question, gentlemen. Matthew sixteen. Verse number four seems to suggest that there are believers who ask for signs and miracles to prove God and Jesus. They're wicked. Well, what if what if Christians who think they need to produce signs and miracles for people to believe? What do you say to them or ourselves to help us understand how we should not rely on these things to understand the gospel or share the gospel? I used to talk about being healed when I was two to try to bring them to Christ. I learned it didn't help. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of us would think, man, it sure would be easier to share the gospel if we could be just doing miracles all over the place. And, you know, like Elijah, build an altar and call down fire from heaven and yeah. have it burned up before everybody's eyes. And it's like, all right, end of debate. There it is. He's God. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. In the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, the the miracles tended to fade off. And then he started to proclaim more who he is. He used the miracles of food and healing and turning water to wine and so on. And it did attract people's attention. But in in the end, we aren't saved by believing in miracles. We're saved by believing in the work of of Christ on the cross. Um, And uh, and here, he's basically saying, ah, you Jews, you're always looking for a sign. But he does say this, I'm going to give you one more sign. And that sign is the sign of Jonah. Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But he's going to rise again. The last miracle he did was the greatest of all, and that is that he conquered death and rose from the grave. So that's the miracle that we can take to people today. That's the miracle that we can proclaim to the world. That is the gospel. Hmm. You know, I could I could spend a lot of time on this verse uh, because it is such an important verse. You've touched on it, Jeff. This is about Jesus. You know, the sign is about Jesus. The sign of Jonah is that he was three days in the whale. Jesus is going to be three days, you know, crucified and resurrected. I'm not sure this is talking about signs and wonders today, because even St. Paul said, I didn't come among you with great wisdom in that. I came among you with signs of power and and, uh, miracles and that kind of thing. So I don't think the miracles in that are a bad idea. I just think we can't depend on those as being the real source. The real source we have to talk about all the time is Jesus and his shed blood. And if he brings the miracles, fine. I agree. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, we'll probably have time for your question. 877-933-2484. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Ferdorn is the power panel today. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to Guide Talk. Thank you for joining us today. Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Redorn is my are my power panel. Let me just get this out of the way. I partially disagree on, on what a pastor wears. He and only he should be more dressed up than anyone else. He doesn't need to wear a suit or tie but I'm really disappointed when he's up there with his shirt out. I think being respectful of the office and being respectful of what you're doing is appropriate. Uh, There are cultures 
where, and I've been to them in Asia, where you don't tuck in as a man, you wear it out. I mean, that's just the culture. Yeah. So the pastor does that. You have to understand your culture, and you have to understand what's respectful. And what I, the last thing I want to do as a preacher is distract the people from the message onto what I'm doing. And so I agree with the listener. Uh, absolutely, we don't want to do that. And so I try to dress as, as appropriately as I can and be halfway decent, although I do have a word from the Lord. There are no ties in heaven, so I don't have to wear a tie. So I love do you it. wear a suit and tie when you preach? I always wear a sport coat. Sometimes I wear a tie. Sometimes I don't. Do you wear a robe? Do you ever wear a robe? Years and years and years ago. But you don't know. I haven't worn a robe in 35 years. But you tuck your shirt in. Uh, well, with my body build, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's a question. Can you address the Torah-observant Christianity and the Hebraic Roots movement? Some family members say we need to observe the law as a sign of love for God. Yeah, so I have I teach a class called Law versus Grace, and we compare the old covenant of the law to the new covenant of grace. And it is... And, and I've had a couple of folks in my classes over the years that insist that in order to honor God, that we need as Christians, as New Testament Christians, to continue to follow the law of God. And it's always funny because I, I ask them, well, how are you doing on that? <laughs> are you following all of yeah. the law of God or not? Uh, there's something like, what is that, 800 laws in the Old Testament that God had given to Moses as part of the Mosaic law. Some of them are very specific and detailed. And by the way, there's an entire sacrificial uh, 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 process in the law of Moses that you're supposed to follow. And uh, or what I end up teaching, kind of the conclusion of this semester class, is that just like Hebrews 8, 7 says, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God came, Jesus came, and established a new covenant in his blood. This is a covenant of grace, and 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 he's done away with the first, the covenant of Moses, the covenant of the law. Christians are no longer under the law, and Paul declares that at least a dozen times in the New Testament, such as uh, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit, Romans 7, 6. Good word. I just went through this with a, a friend of mine who is a Torah-observant Christian. Uh, only will worship sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, and all of that kind of stuff. And I asked him point blank, as I've asked many who are caught up in this movement, when was the last time you read the book of Hebrews? <laughs> and exactly. they'll usually look at me and go, tell me what Hebrews says about the covenants and about the law and about justification, and how that happens through Jesus alone. And I've had several of them admit to me, I don't think I've ever read the, read the book of Hebrews. If you don't read the book of Hebrews, you don't understand the transition from the Old to the New Covenant, and you'll continually go back to what you think is manageable by observing the law, rather than understanding that we're in this relationship by grace, by faith in Jesus, not by anything we do. Yeah, the, you know, it says that if you are in Christ, you have entered the Sabbath rest of God because you rest from your own work. I think in the Old Testament, here's kind of the picture. God asked Israel to set aside one day as a Sabbath rest to him. As a New Testament believer, we have entered that Sabbath rest, and every single day for the New Testament believer is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Right. And I just think that's the, the coolest picture. I, and Paul declares it again and again and again that we're no longer under the law, but under 
grace. The old has been put off and put aside. He's got a new way by the Spirit. Thank you, Jeff Verdorn. All right, here's another question. Why does there have to be so many religions when there's just one God? And in the Bible, it reads how they live to 800 years old. How? Well, they live that long because as you look at Adam and Eve were created for eternity. They were to be eternal creatures. They turned out not to be that. Adam lived, what, 900 and some years mm-hmm. and whatever. Then you watch as time goes on, coming up the time of Jesus, time, ages come down. You can see the fading of eternity in the broken relationship. Jesus comes along and now gives us eternal life by faith in him. Mm-hmm. And so the, the ages isn't so much an issue for me uh, because we moved away from eternity and we moved into our sinful nature. But now the Lord gives us a whole new life. And here's the good news is Jesus says, the moment you believe in me, you have passed from death to life. Eternal life's already begun for the believer. Yeah, well, uh, say in the first part of that question. Yeah. Well, why does there have to be so many religions when there's only oh, one yeah. God? So on, on the age thing, you, you actually see it right after the flood. Right mm-hmm. after the flood, ages of man uh, drop off dramatically. And I think it's about uh, chapter 8 or, or 9 of Genesis. He says man is appointed to live 120 years. So it's it's like lifespans went off and God somehow put a limit on it. And you're right. The age of earthly life is not as important as the uh, how long you're going to live for all of eternity. You either are or you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. There's your there's your choices. Mm-hmm. So eternal life is a very big, uh, very big deal. As far as the multiple religions, it's interesting because th- there's one true religion, right? Christianity, right? Jesus was either God in the flesh and incarnate, and either conquered the grave or he didn't. I think everything else is is a counterfeit, if you will. And I think Satan has a lie for whatever you believe, wherever you're at, Satan has a belief system for you. If you believe in a God, he has false monotheistic religions for you. If you believe there's multiple God, well, he's got polytheistic religions for you. If you want, if your God is, is science, well, he's got naturalism and materialism for you. He's got a lie no matter where you're at. He's got a lie to distract you from knowing the real truth. Let me push that one step further. Uh, my sense when I first heard the question is that the listener used the word religion, what meant denominations within Christianity. Why is it we have one God, but we have all these different denominations out there? Well, the answer is simple. Human beings are involved. Mm-hmm. And because we're human beings, we have a tendency to get focused in one area or another. Some get so focused on baptism that, that the whole theology now comes out of that. Some get so focused over here on something else that everything comes out of that. Very rarely, in my experience, can I get enough Christians of different denominations together, and we really focus on Jesus. And not that they don't believe, they do, but they all have a different emphasis, and it's usually historic emphasis that's come from a long time ago. And it's a shame, because we really should be one. We don't always make a very good witness with our denominations and our infighting with one another. All right, let me try to squeak one more in here. So does observation of the feasts go along with the Old Testament covenant? Jeff? Well, the feasts came out of the law of Moses. They were uh, ascribed by God as part of the law of Moses to be followed by Israel. Um, so if you were, if you're one of these uh, Christians that believe in the Hebrew roots movement, like our previous question, that you need to follow all the law, well, then you should be following all the feasts and festivals as well. What's really fascinating is, is that the law and all these sacrificial systems and, and all the temple and all the t- articles in the temple, God tells us these are just a shadow of the things that would de- 
come. God tells us that the blood of bulls and goats cleansed nobody, but Christ was the final sacrifice once and for all and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Christ in his first coming fulfilled the first four of the feasts. He was the Passover lamb. And interestingly, I believe in his second coming, he will fulfill the last three of of the feasts of Israel. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and with my Messianic friends, that's what I say to them. Look, Jesus says everything in the Old Testament was about me, even the laws, even the festivals. Observe the festivals, but you better observe them. And the conclusion of the festival is Jesus Christ is Lord, and I bow before him because that's what the festivals are about, whether they're in the past or they're coming in the future. They all point right. to Christ. Yeah. Tom Parrish, you got 15 seconds to answer this question. To be allowed in heaven, can one believe in Christ but not love others? Jesus said, all people know you are my disciples if you love one another. The answer is no. You, there has to be a love. Now, that doesn't mean you have to like everybody or want to be with them 24 hours a day. But the love is you're showing the love of Jesus to them by still praying for them, still being respectful when you can, and do and acting like Jesus around them. Sounds like there was a little bit of a bomb that just went off. <laughs> I don't know. I hate to wrap things up right now, but... Uh, well, here's the bottom line. We it's love. Time. I'm yeah. sorry. That, that's okay. <laughs> we will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.